Mad Men Happy Hour, the officially unofficial podcast for Mad Men on AMC. I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And tonight we're covering Season 7, Episode 2, titled The Day's Work. It's all in a day's work at SCNP. Uh, what did you think of this episode as a whole? Dude, this was a superior hour of television. It had it all. It had <laughs>, laughs. It had oh, yeah. emotional re- resonance. It had big character moments. Uh... Uh, it's it was awesome. I felt so good after I finished. I mean, I felt like I had an afterglow, uh, uh-huh. a, a cathartic moment finishing this episode. You felt like Peggy walking into if the I was in the if morning. I was giving numbers. I felt like Don after my little girl just told me she loved me on Valentine's Day. I <laughs> if I was giving out number reviews, which I know we don't anymore, I'd give this a ten. A ten. Holy shit. Okay. Uh, that's fairly impressive. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm on roughly the same page as you are. I don't know that I'd throw a 10 out there. That's kind of reserved for the super special episodes, but, um, definitely a strong episode. I loved that there was comedy. Uh, I love that a lot of people's, uh, I guess ideas were challenged in this episode. I'm thinking of Pete and I'm thinking of, uh, Peggy. I I don't know. There was a lot going on in this episode, uh, inter-office wise that I really enjoyed. Um, and then the sure. stuff with Pete is always classic. Can't go wrong there. Uh, let's get into the recap. Uh, we start with Don uh, really just slumming, slumming it up at home. I mean, it's Thursday at 7.30. His alarm goes off. He would be waking up for work at this time. Instead, he just goes back to sleep for another five hours. Ends up 12.30. Here he is finally getting out of bed. He goes immediately to the couch, watches TV. He's eating Ritz crackers in his underwear. He's drinking Canadian Club. He's just completely disheveled. Uh, all, has... all this is true. <laughs> all this is okay. true. However, he was not sleeping like a total vampire for once. A true. Yeah, you think that's indicative of his mental state at this point? Is he happier? Is he more relaxed? He's less vampiric for sure. <laughs> okay. Um, that I noticed that he marks a line on the bottle where he drank to. So apparently this is an everyday thing for him, and he's kind of monitoring his consumption a little bit. Well, we do it at the Bald Move headquarters, honestly. I mean, there's some <laughs> days where we've already drank two and a half inches and shit, it's not even noon, and we're like, what are we going to do? We, we, <laughs> we, we promised ourselves we'd make this, this fifth last the whole day, and, you know... <laughs> We need to sleep until 12.30. That would solve neatly this problem. That's the key. Just cut five hours out of their morning, and you're good. Yeah. That, that's, you don't have to, the alcohol doesn't have to do the heavy lifting until afternoon if you sleep through it. <laughs> so he gets dressed up because he knows that Dawn is coming over. Um, she's, we find out that she's still acting kind of as his assistant and keeping him informed of what's going on at SCNP so that he can you know squeeze in some business uh, from Freddie. Yeah, we uh, and then we later he... we later found out that this is kind of sort of official in her capacity, but at the time yeah. I thought this was something she's just doing like clandestine. 
and mm-hmm. I was super impressed with Dawn. I mean, she's showing the kind of loyalty that can't be bought. In fact, she didn't want to take Don's uh, a little little something something uh, for doing yeah. the quote unquote extra work. Hell, hell yeah, the secretary. Just as surprised as you to find out that, that was somewhat official. I assumed that she would be doing that on the down low, uh, but apparently not. So once she leaves, he immediately goes back into uh, Canadian club and Ritz mode, and he, he puts on the Ritz again, and he loosens his tie. <laughs> uh, and then we go over to Sally, who well, wait, so is... He, he, yeah. he, he had that tie tied for all of five minutes, and also I'd be totally remiss if I didn't mention the fact that uh, there was a roach visible in an episode mm. that aired on 420. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Stan would get you in a headlock if you didn't mention that. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so then we go to Sally, and her and her friends are planning this trip to a funeral um, for her roommates, not her friend, her roommate's mother uh, who died. This is... We, we find out a little bit about Sally's living conditions here, right? She's with these girls who are kind of always looking to get up to no good. Uh, you know, it, it's pretty normal for teenagers, I think. Nothing out of the ordinary there. Uh, is there anything you want to talk about specifically with this scene? Uh, Sally wishing her mom was just, she would stay in school till 1975 <laughs> if it meant putting her mom in the ground. Uh-huh. That, that's harsh. <laughs> that's harsh. Do you but think... But not unwarranted. No, no, no. It's not, nothing. Nothing. It's not warranted. I'm just wondering, based on the contents of this week's episode, do you think she talks about her dad like that? And do you think her dad's relationship and her mom's relationship has similar levels of Rocky? Or is Don able huh. to fix his damage by just telling the truth? Whereas Betty would, you know, Betty would have to undo years of active abuse and and uh, uh, psychological torment. For some reason, I think that's the case. I think it would take Betty much more work to get back into the good graces of Sally if she were to try. Uh, And I think part of that has to do with just how much she has been around Betty and how much she has seen of Betty. And she knows that Betty is an all-around bad person, whereas her dad has (laughs) tried to do a lot of... (laughs) What, you disagree with me? Character assassination. Uh... (laughs) <laughs> I, I don't know that I totally disagree, but I don't know if I could say she's an all-around terrible person. I don't know. It's I, I have a hard time with being able to see all sides of a given issue, and I feel like there's a lot to the fact that, you know, Betty isn't not necessarily the monster she became to no small amount of Don's, Don's meddling, and then we know she also had an unhappy childhood. It's It's not okay. I just, I don't know. I have a hard time saying she's, at, she's a terrible person. Never mind. Let's go on. <laughs> Okay. Um, where was I? Oh, my God. You totally derailed me by calling Betty a not-all-around terrible person. Uh, Shocking. But yes. Okay. So I was I was talking about the proximity to her father. She hasn't seen a lot of her father's personality. Uh, she's seen a couple of horrible things that he did. You know, I mean, he was sleeping around uh, cheating on Megan last year. Which seems to be a... that all comes to a head. Yeah, it seems to be a pretty big scarring event. Definitely. Um, but there's kind of a, uh, makeup session at the end. Okay. So we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, so we go, we go over to the Pete pit and actually, no, sorry. It's not the Pete pit. It's the office where Pete and his realtor are getting down and dirty. And Ted comes walking in while they're getting it on. He knows he doesn't care. 
All he wants to know is, did you land the client? Uh, and we find out that, yes, indeed, he has. He signed the uh, Chevy Dealers Association out there in California, and they are they are separate from Chevy manufacturing. Yeah, all he had to do is get Joan to agree to sleep with the uh, guy who rules with an iron fist, and it's in the bag. <laughs> okay. So de- I tell you, the dealer organizations, they're, they're shady. I don't know what it is. Sure. You get... You gotta, you gotta get Herb the second out there. Uh, find a Joan for him. So Peggy comes in to the office. She seems really super happy, and she's talking with Stan and Ginsburg in the elevator. Uh, finds out that it's Valentine's Day. Like didn't even know apparently. Um, and when she gets to her office, her secretary is not there, surely, but flowers are, and she assumes they're from Ted. She takes him into her office, and then she. Sends Ted a message telling him that she's completely done with him. Uh, a coded message. Which is, you know, since since Ted had nothing to do with this, there's much hilarity to be gained throughout the episode uh, about the, oh, the, yeah. the ripples this makes. Um, and a lot of people, a lot of people made mention of the fact that this was a particularly racially he- uh, charged episode of uh, The Mad Men. In yes. fact, Tom and Lorenzo said this is the episode that Mad Men discovers black people. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought there was not a small amount of subtle racism in the fact that Peggy just sees the flowers on Shirley's desk and assumes they're hers. Like, sure. I don't know that if that was one of the other girls' desks, she would have leapt to that opinion. Yeah, no, I'm, that's a fair point, I think. Uh, especially given, like you said, the tone of the rest of the episode. And especially uh, since Peggy, we know is i mean she's progressive for her time but the key word is for her time this is still the woman uncomfortable with letting dawn sleep out in view of her purse <laughs> yeah yeah very true so I, I thought that that was kind of like the first shot fired this is also the peggy who will stay at home on valentine's day and masturbate gloomily oh ginsburg <laughs> had the knives out did you notice that he would not hold the door for her either Oh, I didn't see that, no. Yeah, like, she's in, hold the elevator, please, and Ginsburg was just stone face, and Stan finally kind of double takes <laughs> and, like, lunges over to stop the door before it closed, but Ginsburg's like, not nah, fucker. <laughs> wow, wow. What do you think Ginsburg has against her? Uh, a lot. I think that he sees her as a suit now. Okay. And especially in the way, I mean, come on, the way she's, this episode obviously is a snapshot. It's it's leapt forward about another three weeks into the future. It's hilarious mm-hmm. because before the show, I was like doing a bunch of frantic research about the assassination of Robert Kennedy and when that trial was to try to narrow down the date. And then it hit me. It's fucking <laughs> Valentine's Day, jackass. Uh, uh-huh. But I just feel like the Peggy we see in this episode is out of control. And that this is the Peggy that we've probably been getting for the last three months. And Ginsburg is is probably oh like Stan, Stan feels sorry for her. Ginsburg yeah. doesn't give a shit. He's from Mars. He doesn't understand these human considerations of love and affection. He's just <laughs> he's just over it. Sure, I can buy that. Uh, there's also the idea that Peggy used to work for this company. Peggy went to work for Ted, and now boom, she's back, um, and she's you know the chief copy, uh, the head of copy there. So. Maybe some some problems there. Maybe Ginsburg and Stan think, oh, well, we should have given 
been given that position instead of her. Yeah, I don't know. I Peggy's Peggy's the quote unquote woman. Um, using that like the phrase "the man only with the woman." I sure. I don't I don't know. I mean, in my mind, she should have been creative director over this Lou asshole. Yeah, no, I'm with you there for sure. In fact, I don't think his name is Avery. I think he legally changed it to Avery from asshole <laughs> to kind of hide uh, th- this fact. But he is such an oh my god! It's it's hard to take. <laughs> The man is so obtuse. Yeah, and he's not just obtuse. He's uh, he's greedy. He's selfish. It's it's a whole, uh, whole whole asshole package. He's got every he's got every color in the asshole spectrum. Yes, he does. And we'll talk about it shortly. He's like a um, asshole prism. Like <laughs> white asshole light hits him and just blows out into the entire rainbow. <laughs> so Roger arrives at the office with. A story that apparently thrilled him. I mean, he's just giddy about this story. Uh, and he tells Lou, and then Lou tells him that Ogilvy signed with Hershey. Boom. Uh, Ogilvy signed Hershey. Sorry. It's the other way around. Yeah. Total wet fish. He, he, Roger's telling a funny racially uh, charged joke, and uh, Lou's giving them nothing. Yeah. A uh, second shot fired in the race war happening here at uh, Sterling Cooper and Partners. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Do you think that they went um, with that racial term instead of, uh, it, like, having Roger be accosted in that way um, as a white man seemed like an interesting thing to do where you're in this episode with a bunch of black people being ostracized the same way, right? Y- yeah, I think that's exactly the point that you've got, you know, it's it's kind of like, you know... Like, when I hear the word cracker used about white people, Mm -hmm. it's almost funny. It's kind of like a joke because I don't take it serious because I sit on this immense throne of white male privilege and nothing can hurt me. And and Roger, as a wealth – he's got one more privilege than me. He's got enormous wealth. Mm -hmm. uh, Is is sitting a little bit higher and, like, you know, being called a racial slur is a funny novelty to him. Yeah, I doubt that would be nearly as funny – to Dawn. But it's funny that Dawn and Shirley have their own little in-jokes about how <laughs> racist the office people are and that it can't keep them straight. Yep. So it's like, again, this is why this show is awesome. Everything blends in and harmonizes and it's, it, it feeds into each other and it says something. I mean, it's not brilliant. It's, you know, what it, it's saying about racism in the 60s and versus racism today. But it's yeah. still uh, a notch above the you know the kind of cleverness you get on a lot of other TV shows. Oh sure, by a long shot. So then we go to back to Sally, who's on a train and she's talking with her friends. They just got done shopping, but she forgot her bag with her contact book in it, with all of her addresses, everybody she knows. So she gets off the train and goes after it. So she'll take a later one. This is is this just an excuse for her? to get off this train it it feels to me like at the end of this episode when she is talking to don and they have this honest moment and she says um it's like i'm i'm many different people it it i'm so many people i think is what she says it's it felt to me like she is keeping up these pretenses with her friends who aren't really her friends right they're just her roommates mm-hmm. they're people that she's forced to to be around she doesn't feel like she knows who she is so it felt to me like she just wanted to get away from these people for a while, but uh, I'm not totally sure about that. Yeah, I think she wanted to have some contact with her dad. I I mm-hmm. thought for sure when I first saw the scene that it was just a elaborate ploy, but then 
she either I, she either ditched her purse for good mm-hmm. and for real because I never saw her with her purse later, and she claims you know when she was with her father that I need train money, etc. Or mm-hmm. maybe she uh, hid her purse inside her shopping bag. Well, we know that her friends looked into her shopping bag at the end because they had her shoes or whatever hidden in her closet. Oh, I thought they took her booty. I just assumed that they they took her clothes and just sh- shoved them in the uh, the closet without going through the bag. Oh, maybe that's true. But she's going she's going a long way to the sub uh, the subterfuge, if indeed it is subterfuge. And maybe she did, but okay. you know, losing your purse for good uh, with your address book and everything is is it's a big deal, I would think. Sure, no doubt. Uh, then Shirley. Back in the office, tells Dawn about the flowers, uh, what happened with Peggy. And it's apparent to me that she doesn't like working for Peggy. And given Peggy's demeanor, I can see why. Well, I think if she doesn't like working for Peggy of late, I don't know if this has been a long-term animosity, sure. but, you know, the well, girl comes in and snatches her flowers. That, <laughs> yeah. And, and Shirley doesn't feel like she can do a damn thing about it, and it's too late. And she's, she's, she's pr- trying to spare this twits feelings and it blows up in her face later. I mean, this is a maddening position to be put in. Sure. I, I don't disagree there. Um, that there is a, a moment where, um, Dawn says, what did she do this time? So apparently she's been complaining about her frequently as of late. No, I think Peggy, unfortunately has been a bit of a shit since the Ted breakup. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, then we go back to Don, who is now meeting with Dave Wooster from Wells Rich and Green. Oh, we're talking is... D O N. You, you threw a little bit of Dawn in there. Uh, before, we, oh, sorry. <laughs> before we move on, um, a couple points that you know we, they talked a lot about racism. We talk a lot about sexism this episode. One thing that went by so fast, I don't think I caught it on the first, maybe not even the second view, is Don confiding to Shirley or Shirley confiding to Dawn because Dawn's like, you know, your your man Charles would rather you have a job than those flowers. And she says, you know, that's not right. Which, mm-hmm. you know, it kind of a reminder that being a working woman, not in the sense of Sally's friend using it as, you know, prophecy, but being <laughs> an actually working, working woman is somewhat controversial in yeah. 1969. And another reminder of kind of how far we've, we've come. And yep, also, Don and Shirley spinoff would be really fucking awesome if they if they if they <laughs> if the Wiener decides he's not done and he needs a better call Saul. I'm thinking, you know, the Don and Shirley show. I'm not sure what you would call it. Uh, you know, Don and Shirley might not be a bad name. It worked for Laverne. Uh, I, I would watch <laughs> the shit out of that show. Sure, sure. So would I. Uh, so now we go to the lunch meeting with Dave Wooster from another agency. And they're talking about Don's work situation, and we find out that he's heard some rumors, and then there's a little bit of telephone game going on here. He's not quite sure what happened, but uh, he knows that something happened, and Don got cut from SCMP. This is a, a secret that Don doesn't want getting out there. What? So what is Don doing? He's looking for love. Is he? Do you, I mean? Well, let me just let me, let's not lead the witness. What do you think he's doing here? I think that he is feeling people out for possible positions. But he I has mean, a job, a contract, a non-complete for, uh, cause, a non-compete cause, clause, mm-hmm. 
how, that is not the easiest thing in the world to get out of. What's his end game? I feel like his end game is to kind of take on the same role with some uh, with another agency that he has going on with Freddie, like kind of under um, under the radar sort of work. Huh. That's just the impression I got. Maybe I'm completely wrong about that. What did you think? Let me let me bounce this idea off of you. We're talking about playing the telephone game and all these rumors swirling around. If he's putting himself out there that he's taking lunches, do you think he's trying to send a message to SC and P? Like, oh, interesting. You know, it's like, hey, I'm still out here. I'm good. I'm available. I'm desirable. You know, trying to and and maybe they think that he has some angle to get out of the contract that they're not aware mm-hmm. of because he's a smart dude and he's he's swindled. You know, he swindled his way out of several different businesses and. Uh, yeah. maybe they're thinking, oh shit, maybe we, we can't underestimate this man. Maybe we need them, you know, it's better to have him in our tent pissing out than outside our tent pissing in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That could be, it's a great analogy. Yes. That could totally be it. Um, one thing that our crack research staff, uh, dug up is the, uh, meeting he's having with Wells, Mitch Green was founded, uh, amongst others by Mary Wells Lawrence, who is a uh, female advertising p- uh, pioneer that many people think of as the real-life Peggy Olson. Oh, okay. And some people have speculated that we might actually see her found her own agency in much the same way that she did. So I something, maybe some foreshadowing, uh, maybe a little clever nod from the wiener, something to look, at, look forward to in the next uh, year and a half of episodes. Sure, and with uh, Pete's little joke about Form, well, I don't even know if it's a joke, but about forming another agency, uh, who knows? Yeah, I could I, see that. I, I I was salivating at that line because I think that's the most exciting. <laughs> that's the most exciting thing that's happened in Mad Men history, or one, or it's right there up there. The founding of the new agency and all the drama that went into that. Uh, a brand new, younger version would be awesome. I would mm-hmm. love to see that. Yeah. So Sally goes to SCMP for a surprise visit with her dad, and instead she gets a surprise visit with the Grinch, uh, Lou Avery. This guy, man, he does not want to deal with Sally. You know, this is not his problem, as he says later. It has nothing to do with him. But, you know, we find Peg, or sorry, not Peggy. Sally finds out here that her dad is not really working anymore. He's just kind of uh, doing his own thing. Yeah, I mean, I guess Lou kept it together for, like, two civil sentences before he started being dismissive mm-hmm. and, you know, trying to hand her off to whoever. Yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. For an asshole, I guess that's that's giving a fuck. But <laughs> I, when I saw her walk into SC&P, I was like, oh, shit. This, yep. this is going to go bad places. Little did I know. Why do you think that Lou is protecting Don at all? Uh, I don't think he's actually protecting. If he did, he would have, you know, given a little shit more. I think it's it's potentially a selfish reason that if he says, look, little girl, uh, you know, your dad's been lying to you. He's out of a job. Uh, none of that stuff is true, number one, technically. The truth is much mm-hmm. more complicated. Uh, he doesn't want to have to deal with any of that shit. If she starts crying, then, then what's he going to do? You know, he can't, <laughs> yeah. he can't pour her a drink and stick a cigarette in her mouth. I mean, <laughs> although she might enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair enough. 
Uh, let's go back to uh, SCNP one more time with Jim uh, Hobart. Or sorry, not SCNP to the diner one more time, uh, where Don's meeting with uh, his meeting is going on, and Jim Hobart from McCann Erickson shows right. up, and he's trying to sweet talk Don so that he can poach him. I guess he's heard the same rumors. Uh, he now sees Don, quote-unquote, taking lunches. Uh, and this is a guy who Don has almost worked for twice now. Right. So it looks like everyone is kind of after Don at this point. Well, I mean, they see him taking lunches. This is exactly the kind of telephone game that I think that he wants wants to happen with him in his career. Yeah. Then we go back to uh, Peggy, who, <laughs> in, the, in one of the funniest moments in the episode re-gifts Shirley's own flowers to her. Uh, I really like this. I don't know why. This is like, it's such a mistaken situation uh, that it's just really hilarious. Yeah, and no, then, it's, and the look on Shirley's face when she realizes what's happening and she's getting those flowers is fucking awesome. Yeah, and she seems pretty happy at the end of it. She's like smiling, I got my flowers back. All right. Yeah, beaming, it's very satisfied, a very satisfied smile. Yeah, I I would have thought that she would have been more offended by the idea that someone took her flowers and then gave them to her as a gift. Well, I mean, I think she wrote written them off after a conversation with Dawn. She did, yeah, yeah. You know, like far be it for for the black girl to set the white girl straight on the status of her goddamn Valentine's Day flowers. Oh yeah, and then when she does, which we'll talk about in a second, I mean, <laughs> it's like she was in for an unavoidable shitstorm. There's she. Yeah. It's, it's a literal damned if you do, damned if you don't situation. Mm-hmm. Especially with Peggy being as irrational and kind of power tripping as she is in this episode. So then we go to the partner meeting where Pete is telling them all uh, via speakerphone <laughs> the contraption, as he calls it. Uh, how he landed the Chevy Dealership Association account, or the Chevy Dealer Association account. Um, Cutler wants to get Detroit's blessing. A couple of the partners do, but Roger doesn't think they need it. And there's kind of a little power struggle here, between specifically between Cutler and Roger. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's, you know, the old SCDP and the new SCNP. It's, it's kind of the struggle for its soul. Do you yeah. what do you have an opinion on this because I guess when it comes to deal making I'm going to side with Roger and Pete that this is it this feels to me like Cutler trying to get his fingers into this pie somehow hmm. so that just like Roger is kind of insulted that they insinuated that they landed the Chevy deal okay when Roger pretty clearly feels that that was him and Don's doing, and then they brought in, you know, CC and C or whatever the hell it was, Cutler Shaw, and I can't remember the other guy's name, but as, you know, Gleason, a way... Gleason, I think. Yeah, as a way to base, Yeah, it's a CGC. As a way to basically... They were staff augmentation, and really nothing more. Yeah, yeah. But it was the... It, it was it was Don and his idea and Roger's uh, airline, uh, airport um, dalliances that carried the day. I feel like this mm-hmm. is just another way for Cutler to jump in there and be like, well, we need to get our man involved because of some bullshit reason so that we can claim, you know, we, we can count some coup here too. Yeah, yeah. And I, I mean, I'm okay with it. If we get to see Bob Benson again, I would kind of be happy. Uh, I know he's 
you know, a bit of a nebulous character with uh, some unknown motivations, but I <laughs> I enjoy seeing him on the screen. Uh, so I wouldn't. Oh, and him and that. Pete. Him and Pete yeah. is is awesome. I, I get them working together. From a storytelling perspective, I think it's a great idea. From a business, you know, wanting to maintain the power you have within an organization, I think Pete's right on that. This is this mm-hmm. this show of weakness is uh is straight up appeasement. And at the end of the episode, I can't wait to talk to you about that last interaction Roger had with Cutler and whether that was menacing or not. Yes, I have the same exact question written down. All right. So I think we'll talk about it. Uh, something else we have to talk about. <laughs> uh, the orange theory has reared its ugly head again. Oh, God. Okay. Cheryl, uh, you is the first one that sent it to me. Uh, we know this is a big deal in Mad Men. Uh, but there's a theory that oranges equal death or crisis in cinema, cinematic short term. And it's... All, all, all goes back to an homage of the Godfather. When the Godfather's gunned down, he had a big sack of oranges that spilled all over the floor. Uh, mm-hmm. And there's a surprising number of films where the color orange or the orange product as a fruit specifically or a derivative thereof. Like, for example, oh, shit. I can't, I can't give away a massive wire spoil, uh, spoiler. Uh, there is a particular character in The Wire who gets assassinated, and he walks past a porch with a sun kissed on it prominently shortly before it happens. Um, <laughs> do you? So, so Bob's like, uh, not Bob. Sorry, Pete's like, yeah, I'll bring oranges to my meeting with Detroit. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that foreshadowing of something? And and we know Roger was juggling oranges in the conference room last year when they were anticipating getting sunkissed. Uh-huh. The death the death rumor mill is is on hyperdrive. And this is something we've seen ever since the death of Lane Price. People love to jump on these death uh you know kind of foreshadowings. And other than Lane Price, not a lot has ever come of it. True. Very true. What's your take? Uh my take is a lot of this stuff is simply because they have an orange juice as a client. Um, so naturally a lot of oranges are going to show up. Roger juggling oranges. So you're saying a lot of people are going to die. Like maybe the whole office, like (laughs) some kind of catechismic plane wreck. No, I'm saying that those oranges are not there foreshadowing death. A lot of those oranges are there just because they have a client and oranges make sense on a set where you have a client that makes orange juice. Uh, however, I think some of this, like Pete saying, for instance, I'm going to bring oranges. I don't know what to make of that other than a possible foreshadowing event. I mean, what does he actually mean by that statement? I don't get it. He's bringing his rifle. You heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. Pete is going to assa- he named it oranges. Pete is going to assassinate the entire executive board of Sunkist. Bold prediction, Jim. Bold prediction. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty bold. <laughs> I, don't, I mean, but here's the thing. Uh,. I like the theory. I think the orange theory is solid, um, and it, one of the one of the popular theories about how this ends is that Don's going to die, right? Yeah, it would you know neatly track with Sopranos and Breaking Bad and some of the other you know, modern influences that we've seen the Wiener have or contemporaries of him. So mm-hmm. I like it, and Mad Men is one of those things where it's like not everything has to go everywhere. I mean, I'm still waiting for the six 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 elevator to hell to pay off and you know the wiener i I, sometimes like the wiener's fucking with us 
because he's got to share share and Tate shit on Overdrive. He's talking about afterlife and hell and limbo again in this episode. Mm-hmm. Maybe nothing comes of it, but it's cool that it's the type of show you can sink your teeth into. And it's not like when those things don't pay off, I ever am disappointed. I'm always I'm always satisfied by however the season ends, and I've yet to have a not satisfying moment. The closest I came was probably the climax of season two, but it still wasn't okay. terrible, terrible way to go. Everyone sure. else has been just like freaking amazing. So I like to pay attention to it. It's, it's great to theorize on. I, I, I'm not going to be butthurt if it doesn't come anything come of it. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the same boat. Uh, the other thing we have to talk about in this scene is probably, well, I want to say maybe the second, best line in the episode is this a partner's meeting or the most tedious wireless program i've ever heard so Uh, good (laughs) anytime uh you get to crack on pete i love it and then to see his reaction is even better uh his his reactions when bad things happen to him are always classic uh this, this whole conference call on the phone he's just so angry about everything what's hilarious is it's 2014 conference calls still suck (laughs) <laughs> all the ass yeah. the technology in theory has gotten a lot better but conference calls still suck so much ass mm-hmm. it's only been Terrible. 50 years it, it's only been 50 years and it's like it's <laughs> it's fine like a, a two person you know Skype call works fine I guess that's not a conference call but anytime you get a third person it is a shit show man it is a total shit show yeah alright let's move on to Sally showing up at Don's house when he gets home. Although, wait a second. I do think the best line, actually, and best performance is Ted, Teddy Chaga-ga-ga-ga, saying, you know, they never said which of Peggy's accounts we lost. Oh, yeah. That was, the way he delivered that and how this kind of matter of fact and like, huh, I wonder, versus where Peggy's at emotionally and mentally, I thought was hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, he seems, um... I don't know, I don't know how he seems this episode. When, when Pete comes in to complain... Uh, with his booze later on, uh, he he seems like he's very disconnected from the whole got thing. A, man's got no passion. Yeah, he's still doing his work. I think, um, like he's taking calls, like Pete said, but he doesn't just he doesn't seem to have any passion. Yeah. Yep, it's all gone, dried up. Oh well. Uh, Sally's at Don's house when he gets home, and she asks about why he wasn't at work, and then he you know offers to write her an excuse for not being um, or for being off campus. Uh, I thought it was interesting here that Sally, when when Don asks what's the note supposed to say, she says, just tell the truth. Oh, yeah. And obviously, that comes into play later in this episode, and it's something that she's been looking for from Don for a very long time. But we'll we'll definitely talk more about that at the end. Yeah, fl- flashing neon sign for theme of the episode. Uh, yeah. A question, though. Why... This interaction kind of makes me wonder why Sally wanted to seek her dad out if this was, in fact, a conspiracy. Or do you think the fact that he's blatantly lying to her yet again, she wanted to see her dad because maybe it's been a while and she's kind of wanting to reconcile a little bit. But then she finds out he's just casually lying to her again. And now she's like, well, fuck this. You know, I just want money for the train and be on my way. Because clearly... If she if she ditched a train to spend time with him, she wanted to spend time with him. Yeah, and we know that at the end of last season, she didn't want to spend time with him. She was purposely right. making up excuses to avoid going to his house. Right. Um, 
So I I don't know. The more the more signs are starting to point toward she genuinely just lost her purse. So I could get on that train. Yeah, it's I'm I'm no, kind of fifty. No pun intended. I, I'm leaning towards she did it on purpose, but there's enough question in my mind that I'm not sure. Okay. So then Lou tells Dawn that Sally showed up at the office and she um she calls Dawn up to tell him. Uh and we know of course that Sally is standing right in front of him, and now Dawn has a little bit of information uh, that he can use later on to have a conversation with her, or to mm-hmm. try to have a conversation with her. She doesn't want to, really want to hear it. Yeah, and again, Lou, total asshole. Where the hell were you getting your perfume? Well, don't apologize. Yeah. Don't bother apologizing to me, I guess. Such such an oblivious, obtuse asshole, man. Yeah, yeah, that's when Joan and Dawn go in um, to his office, and he says that he wants... His own secretary, uh, not Don, who is working. Sorry, not Don, who's working both for him and Don. So that's when we find out that, you know, he's he's kind of given consent for Don to hide his tracks a little bit uh, and save some face. But it's very obvious here that he's he's a very very selfish man. I mean, later on, when at the end of the scene, when he says, "Sorry if I said the wrong thing to Don," that is not what he needs to be sorry for. Uh, saying the wrong thing was not the problem there. It's the way he treated well, he, her. And he's basically insinuating, at least I thought, that we can't fire her because she's black. But she clearly yeah. deserves to be fired for this offense. Uh-huh. I think that's what he's saying, you know, kind of like non-apologizing for. Sure. And that is, you know... I'm not sure when what provision of the Civil Rights Act went into effect you know, and, and at what time, but I know it was is passed in '68, and mm-hmm. this is kind of a new concept for everybody. But damn, damn, that is some insensitivity. Sure, sure, and I, <laughs> I kind of like Dawn's reaction here. She says, "Well, since you can't fire me, I'm going to tell you to go fuck yourself." <laughs> Yeah, right? yeah, no, I told that was a I I uh I totally totally love the her comeback on that. Yeah. Okay. So then we go over to Roger who calls up Pete to tell him that they've decided they're going to run the dealers uh, association business past Detroit and past Bob. And they're probably going to be working together. Uh and then Pete, you know, picks up his Cuddy 12 and heads into bitch to Ted. And then, and then storms out. Decides they're no longer talking. D- hysterical scene, in my opinion. Oh yeah, it was great. And, and oh my god, when he's talking to Roger, and Roger hangs up, and Pete goes on for another thirty seconds. <laughs> it's so good. I lost my shit. That was hilarious. Especially since what Pete was saying was right, and stuff that Roger would probably be interested in. But Roger's like, <laughs> I just don't care what this man has to say. Yeah, the the moment that Pete got irate. Roger was done with it. But he's his point about him being a phantom is kind of right on. He is treated like a non-entity by everybody except for this hot uh, real estate agent slam piece he's got. And, sure. And even – even I, I want to save this comment for a little bit later, but even she doesn't really take him seriously. They both are kind of matched to each other because they kind of talk past each other continually. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. They they both have similar spirits, I think. No, no, I get it. And part one of those spirits is not really giving a fuck about what the other person <laughs> is doing or saying or how it applies to their lives. Uh-huh. Okay. 
So then Pete, the next of course, scene, much, much more so because he's always the, the most oh, guilty yeah. party in any situation. <laughs> yeah, he's guilty of growing out his hair too. His hair is getting long. His sideburns are getting long. It's the California effect. It's the '70s, man. It's creeping yeah. up in on him. Next scene, Dawn is replaced. Just a really uh, quick scene. Not sorry, not Dawn. Dawn is replaced because <laughs> yeah, either Dawn. could be the case at this point. Uh, then there's an awkward drive with Don and Sally where she kind of airs her grievances to her father, um, talking about uh, being caught in his infidelity. Um, and they're they're dealing with that whole thing from last season. She says, it's more embarrassing for me to catch you in a lie than for you to be lying. That's... she. What do you think about that? Is she not so much worried about him lying, but that she would catch him in a lie? Well, I don't know. I mean, that is something devastating to hear from your child. Look, I would sure. rather you I would rather you just tell me lies. I know you're lying. And because if I call you on the lie, then you're embarrassed, I'm embarrassed, it's awkward, you know, it's whatever. But it was really clever to have the song Eleanor uh by the Turtles playing in the background. Did you catch Did you catch the lyrics of that? I didn't, no. Uh, Eleanor, can I take the time to ask you to speak your mind? Uh, uh, yeah. As, as she is about to just unload on him. Um, but, I mean, she had him dead to rights, and he tries to come back and, you know, use the Betty, you know, Betty Club against her. Oh, it's just like mm-hmm. your mother, just to sit there and lie and wait. And she's like, no. And what's interesting is I'm pretty sure that's kind of how Betty uh, she's she's not as emotionally mature as her daughter, but I feel like yeah. that's probably the reason, uh, you know, why a lot of the stereotypical, you know, shrewish women treat their men like this is because it's probably more comfortable to just go along with the lie rather than to drag it out and acknowledge it and like you know Trudy was talking last year by having it rubbed in their faces. Sure, and the idea that you know if Don can keep this lie up and can keep it all secret, it would be far less embarrassing than if it were to be brought out, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, her, her so. point about how hard it is for him, her to come to her building, and what if I ran into that woman, and how I'd have to look her in the face, and, you know, I still have to look Megan in the face, potentially, and, like, what, what kind of fucking position are you putting me in, asshole? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's just also so devastating, and the performances are so good. Uh, I think the girl who plays Sally is doing a hell of a job. There's Obviously, a, John Hamm. I'm going to butcher her name. It's like Shierna, uh, uh, Kierna Shipka or something. Okay. <laughs> oh, you don't know either? I thought you were going to be no. able to correct me. No, I don't. Sorry. Yeah, I I, I, I uh, have a terrible, terrible na- time. Uh, Kiernan Shipka. Yeah, Kiernan Shipka, I think is, it, is how you pronounce it. Okay. Let's go back to um, Peggy. She gets a call from Ted's secretary, uh, but Peggy doesn't want to talk, and she tells Shirley to throw the flowers out, but then Shirley explains it to hers, and <laughs> speaking of embarrassing, Peggy is embarrassed. She's very angry, and uh, yeah, I, she just completely dresses down Shirley here. Yeah, and this... So Peggy's learned a lot of good lessons from Don as far as how to be a good creative director and have that creative spark and and be the client whisperer. 
He's also, he's also, she's also picked up a lot of lessons as far as how to just emotionally strip mine somebody. Yeah. I mean, that is old school, complete inner rage, self-centered Don Draper. I'm having a bad day, so I'm going to look for an underling to just eviscerate to make myself feel better. Yeah, it, it looks like she almost feels kind of bad about it when she goes back into her office, closes the door, and kind of stands there. Um, I don't think but so. obviously... Yeah, I was going to say, obviously not bad enough for her to go apologize or anything. Hell she no. just makes it worse later She's on. She's going to double so. down on it. I mean, it's it's assholes for everyone at this at this office. A- <laughs> assholes all around. Uh, speaking of assholes all around, Bert walks out of the office. He now sees that Dawn uh, is up at reception, and he suggests... No, no, he doesn't suggest. He requests a rearrangement of the rearrangement. Uh, racist, racist Bert Cooper... Yeah, I, I, I don't feel like I knew this about him before. Me, either. it makes perfect yeah. sense. He's an old ass man. He was alive before the 20th century was a thing, and and <laughs> yeah. we've seen Roger Sterling in full blackface mm-hmm. at a party with like black servants. I mean. I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but still, it was just kind of breathtaking, his suggestion that... And it's almost like one of those things where it's like, you know, I i don't care. I'm not racist. I, I, I'm i yeah. I'm all for the advancement of, of black people. I just think, you know, other people can see her from the elevator. What kind of image are we trying to portray here? <laughs> Especially wow. since yeah. Dawn is a beautiful professional woman. Uh-huh. <laughs> There's nothing yeah, no, offensive it's... about her at all, except for f- there's a lot of racist fucks, it turns out, in the late 60s. Yeah, and in my opinion, obviously, I think Bert is one of them. You can't argue. You can't argue. I saw people on Reddit trying to argue yeah. that he wasn't really racist. And it's like, I've, oh, no, no, no. Man, I've had so much. I've had my fill of people arguing what is and isn't racism and what is and isn't rape this week between Mad Men and Game of Thrones. I feel like I need to throw <laughs> up on somebody. Yeah. Like... If you're a white person, just shut the fuck up and listen to what other people say is racism before you want to open your mouth and decide what is and isn't about an old white guy's racism. And if you're a dude, maybe shut the fuck up about what you think rape should be. Okay? That's my that's <laughs> right. my opinion. Okay. Well, they're like assholes, Aaron. Everybody has one, and they all stink. Indeed. So we move on to Pete inviting Bonnie uh, to an early Valentine's Day celebration, but she is completely focused on selling this house. And she kind of tells him a little story about how an act of God worked against her um, and how that kind of thrilled her a little bit. Uh, And and this is, you know, part of that kindred spirit thing. I think uh, Pete doesn't like when things work against him. But it does seem to kind of motivate him, right? I mean, if he's talking about starting up his own company because something went wrong at work and he's he's saying, where do I move up to at this point? I think that's a partial motivation for him. No. A, a big motivation for him. Totally. And I think that it's also a nice little parallel to the earlier scene where he was wanting to take care of business and she's like, no, no, take me on the desk. You know, it doesn't really matter. And Mm -hmm. he's like, well, let me explain something. And she's like, yeah, you're not listening, are you? And she's like, no. She tried (laughs) to very eloquently explain why she does the things she does and why Pete does the things he does. And 
it yeah. it does i guess register because he takes the damn sign out and leaves her alone but i thought that was interesting mm-hmm. that it took her you know coming up with a matt weiner crafted speech for him to sit up and actually listen to what she had to say and and that's the way i thought that they're both kind of similar they don't at some level i don't know that they both take each other i don't know i don't want to say they don't take each other seriously i think you're right their spirits are well matched okay that's that's me uh kind of sidestepping being very specific because i don't know how to describe it either <laughs> yeah i mean there's there's some super there's some common superficiality and you uh-huh. know naked ambition over any other consideration and close and and like this you know almost predatory look at deals and deal making and even sexuality uh but mm-hmm. she's a hell of a woman i mean in a different way than Trudy, because I said, you know, I often said Trudy was a hell of a woman. She's more, she's her kind of power is something that I think Pete can see and respect a lot more than he could his 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 old his ex wife's. I don't know. They're not divorced. Are they divorced at this point? Uh, that's a good question. I don't know that 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 has been specifically defined for us. But but you're right. I think he does at least understand her a little bit more than yeah and, and there and was that was even kind more. of made like you know flashing neon lights like this is i'm not some housewife complaining about getting oatmeal out of the carpet like i'm speaking yeah. your language mm-hmm. so then we go back to don and sally and they are riding in their car um oh no sorry they're not riding in the car they're sitting having a meal um and don tells her why he lied about being laid off um and he told he told her the truth here, and that was a very moving thing for Sally. You can see her demeanor change between the time she sits down and the time that she stands up to go make a phone call. And, and not um, not just a factual truth, the emotional truth. Don sure. admitting that deep down the reason he did all this is because he felt shame. That's, yeah. that's I think, huge for him. He almost never talks that way. Absolutely. He, he is always trying to hide any potential shame. Here he's opening up to his daughter uh, and being honest in that way, and it makes a, it makes a big impression on her. Uh, and also the other for a man, thing, oh, go ahead. Uh, the other thing that is, well, no, I was going to change the subject a little. So but the other ahead. thing is for a guy who's kind of made his bones being master of the universe to admit to his daughter, you know, how are you going to fix things? I don't know. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, that's got to be something scary and shameful. And I think he's not just talking about the New York situation. I think he's talking about in broader context, the situation he's got with his daughter, situation he's got with Megan, his entire life, he doesn't know how to do it except for to keep doing the things that he's done. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the other thing that he mentions here is that he told the truth at the wrong time mm-hmm. um, and in the wrong way. Uh, I think that is part of what's going on here later with Sally um, at the end of this episode. And, and it, it shows how Don views truth before this whole con this whole interaction with Sally and kind of how I think he views it afterward um, at the very, very end of this episode where she, you know, he drops her off at school and she says, I love you. Uh, that, that hit Don that struck him. And that made him realize that there was a connection because of the truth that he told her and the truth at the right time in the right way can actually work. Whereas I think he was kind of scared of the truth after his situation at his job. 
All right. I like that analysis. I have a question for you. Okay. So Don said that he's staying here to fix things. Yeah. Don's response to crisis in the past has been to run away to extreme levels, like abandon his family, you know, take off to California, change his name and steal a man's identity. Uh, You Mm -hmm. know, he's either ran away or tried to run away. A day's work. Yeah. Do you think (laughs) that him actually sticking around and trying to fix things, even though he doesn't know, do you think that this sign that Don Draper is finally changing, that this is the synthesis of the dick and the Don Don sides of him? Uh, that, that that we're going to get off of the Don Draper carousel. I want to say yes. I got to say that if last season was all about spending time repeating cycles, I think it's fitting that the final season is about him actually changing. And and if not, I mean, if you want to have a remotely happy ending to this thing, you've got to have Don change by the end. And I'm hoping that that's what we're mm-hmm. seeing. Yeah, it's... Great stuff, and again, uh, can't say enough about the musical selection. Uh, what's playing in the diner here is Your Name and Mine by the Acorns. Um, it's a song about, uh, I couldn't find the lyrics, but I actually listened to it. I found it online somewhere. And it's about a boy and a girl uh, who are going through a breakup, and he's done all these things that demonstrate his affection. He's carved their names on a tree. He's drawn his names on the wall. Um, but he says, you started the doubt which caused our pain. I feel like that, you know, again, these guys are brilliant mm-hmm. about finding the perfect song for the sentiment of the scene because Sally starting to doubt her father was a huge source of pain for him and also a, a, it seems like a catalyst for change. Like old yeah, Don Draper, yeah, I think, right. would have take, would have gone off uh, to quote-unquote manage his wife's career in this circumstance and not thought about his kids or not face the pain of admitting failure to his kids. Uh, new Don Draper is uh-huh. not willing to do that. Yeah, and I mean, a lot of that, I think, goes back to the very end of last season where he showed them his childhood home, and uh, and he decided, I think, there that he was going to try to be a better father. Right. Anyway, so we then go on to um, Peggy, who is still mad about the flowers, and she requests that Shirley be moved off of her desk, and then uh, once she's done, Cutler walks in, and Joan just blows up at him. And then he can see that she's doing two jobs, so he offers her an office upstairs and a chance to drop her personnel duties. Uh, This is a shift for Joan that has been a long time coming, right? She's always been, as, as Cutler says here, the person who lacks a concern for being unliked. And that has led her to do a lot of duties that she shouldn't be doing as a partner. Oh, and now he's... They're actually treating her like a partner. I mean, she did the thing with the shoe company last uh, episode. She's doing, uh, she did, she mm-hmm. landed Avon, apparently. That that's a, you know, well, not apparently. The wine, uh, the wiener said that it was a done deal, and now we see it's a done deal. That's a fairly big account. Yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he's, he's definitely offering it. However, you know, Pete referred to him as Machiavellian. It, yeah. Is there, there, is, is there an element of, undermining Roger's allies? Absolutely, I think. Um, Especially when given the scene in the elevator Mm -hmm. later on. uh, I think that part of his strategy here is not just to help Joan out, and he might genuinely want to do that, but also if he can drive some sort of wedge between Joan and Roger, who have typically been uh, allies, I guess, in this organization, 
then yeah, he will start to gain more power. And and I feel like Roger is an adversary to Cutler at this point. Well, he's I don't think he's an adversary. I thought they're natural friends, but I think Cutler has got this insane uh-huh. competitive streak that even Teddy Chaw was uh kind of cautioning him about last year. My question is, is this going to be his ultimate downfall, hmm, yeah. or is he going to successfully dis- undermine and destroy this company that Roger and Bert has created? I mean, he's already got Dawn out. Uh, Bert apparently mm-hmm. just wants to keep cash and checks and making money, and he's backing uh, Cutler plays. He's going to have Joan on his side, especially since Roger fucked up uh, the reaction to her promotion, her moving on up in the world. Mm-hmm. Who's he got? I mean, who's he got left? No one takes Pete seriously. Everybody else is either, a, you know, <laughs> either an old CGC employee or a junior partner. He Rogers it, yep. man. Rogers the last bastion. No, come on. He's got Harry Crane in his back Harry pocket, Crane ain't, man. Is he? If he's if he's a partner, which I don't know is true. He's a junior. He's a junior partner. So. so no, that's uh-huh. yeah. Harry Crane and his boxes of computers and televisions ain't gonna do shit. <laughs> yeah all right uh no he's he's in serious trouble if he goes against cutler i think because cutler is saying a lot of things that uh the other partners seem to think makes sense it seems like we're getting a new secretary uh to next episode jim yeah because don is taking a promotion dawn is taking a promotion uh-huh. uh peggy doesn't yes. want any of the others she hates moria uh meredith has the mind of a child uh, so that and Dawn is leaving a power vacuum. It seems like the natural thing is to hire someone new. I wonder how that will go. Yeah, I'm excited we'll to see. see what type of secretary they end up getting. Uh, well, we'll find out. Uh, Sally calls her friend Carol, and they had um, apparently an awesome time with some creepy old man who <laughs> wants to take them somewhere. The uh, smoker. Sally's car. unimpressed. <laughs> uh, she. Then goes back to the table and talks with her dad about the funeral, and Don pretends that they're going to skip out on the bill. Yep. Did you take him seriously there? I didn't. I thought it was pretty clear that he was joking, but a lot of people... Why would he do that? Um, I thought that uh, our old buddy Tom G had a very good take on Facebook. He said, I thought the Dine and Dash was a tease on Sally's concern that her father was unemployed and perhaps having money problems. <laughs> so he was, he was gotcha. basically okay. like... You know, we should, you know, I'm not going to pay for this. We're going to have to go and doing all this. And then, you know, she was like super concerned. Yeah. And then he's like, nah, got out the fiver and crushed the bill. <laughs> okay. That works. Um, yeah, she she says in this scene, we talked about it earlier, uh, I'm so many people. I think that she doesn't really fit in with her friends there. Um, and Don says to her, life goes on after the loss of this person. Uh, and I think more generally, when bad things happen, uh, mm-hmm. Life goes on. So then uh, Joan tells Roger that Jim gave her a new office. Um, I think Roger is definitely feeling unappreciated in his position and realizes that people are working against him here because uh, when it, when she asks him, do you disagree with it, he says it doesn't matter. Yeah, he's definitely feeling so, feeling the uh, the squeeze. Like so many oranges, yeah. he's being squeezed. <laughs> pulp free yep uh then don goes into her new office which is joan's old one and she is apparently the new personnel manager and is beaming so that's good news for her we get to see yeah. both her and shirley kind of triumphant in this episode yep 
What'd you? Then uh, Jim and Roger get in the elevator together. Okay, oh, let's, let's talk about. Uh, uh, never mind. I'll, I'll I'll mention this as kind of a final thought. Put a pin in this. Okay. So there is the elevator scene where Jim and Roger get in together, and Roger tells him that he set Pete straight on Chevy, and uh, Jim says he would hate to think of Roger as an adversary. I'd. What do you want to talk uh, about with this scene? That's a threat, right? I think so. It's not yes. even a, a a hidden threat. It's an overt threat. It's it's basically mm-hmm. coming into guys' shop and saying it'd be a shame if something happened to this place. It's sh- <laughs> yeah, you got a nice shame, place. It's a shame here. if uh, you know this thing caught on fire. Or some uh, you know tufts came through and bashed your your register in and broke your windows. <laughs> I mean, this is just a fucking threat. Yeah, it's blatant. And who is Roger going to turn to for al- for an ally? I. I predict, I predict that him and Don are going to be getting together next next episode, and and oh, yeah. then there's going to be some Pete action, and there's going to be some Petty some Peggy action, and Ted, Teddy Teddy Chugga Gaga is going to be left out in the cold. <laughs> That's okay. That'd be fine by me. Uh, Teddy's become one of the least interesting characters sure in this has. season. I think. I mean, his whole his whole purpose was he's like an ICBM, whose sole purpose was to deliver a devastating emotional payload to the pet mm-hmm. to the Peggy target, and the warhead has detonated, and he's just done. He's got no further pur- purpose. Yep, I'm with you. Uh, and then the final scene: Don drops Sally off at school, and she turns around and says, "I love you." Uh, they definitely made a connection there, and I think like throughout this this episode in the diner in the car, they've they've started to reestablish some trust. Uh, between the two of them and it's much needed i mean he he finally opens up to her like we said earlier gives her the truth and it pays off yes indeed um sorry you caught me you you caught me (laughs) mid-swallow um we don't rehearse this folks it's it's live podcasting uh yeah and i i feel like again choice of music is clutch here uh the zombies this will be our year kind of gives me hope that this Maybe Don isn't going to be jumping off the uh, Chekhov's patio slash porch slash uh, balcony. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the song goes, the warmth of your love's like the warmth of the sun. This will be our year. It took a long time to come. The darkness is gone. I won't forget the way you said, darling, I love you. You gave me the faith to go on. That sounds like fuel for someone's redemption. It does not sound like someone slide into depression. Yeah, I'm with Lots you. Lots of things can happen between now and the series finale. But we are on a very hopeful <laughs> note at the end of this episode. For sure. And that is the end of the episode. Um, let's. Why don't we get to some pimping oh, and then do some I, feedback? I had some final thoughts, if you'll recall. Oh, uh, yeah. Let's go for it. So one thing that Tom and Lorenzo, which is, if you're a Mad Men fan, they're fucking required reading. Uh, not just for their fashion analysis, but they... Uh, I feel stupid and kind of regret that I've started a podcast every time I read one of their articles because it's just so good. <laughs> They're really uh, smart, One thing that yeah. they pointed out, and Alan Seppenwald did a little bit of this too, is the theme of female advancement happening on the backs and debacles of male disasters. So hmm, the okay. shitstorm that Lou caused directly led to – Dawn being, you know, promoted to this position. And uh, that goes back to, like, season one. Pete playing games and brinksmanship with Dawn let, led Peggy to being promoted to copy chief. Um, I forget what the crisis was that led Joan to being get, getting her promotion. 
but they laid out and it was there was a, a lot more even to it than that but of, of time after time these women kind of advancing on the back of a male disaster what do you think about that because on the one hand that seems it seems a little sexist of the wiener to be like well you know women women can't get ahead unless a man fucks up uh you know, it's not about their qualities and 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 their qualifications. It's more about you know fits of male peak. What I mean, what what do you what do you make of that? Or is this more of just like, well, that's how women had to get ahead. They had to take advantage of opportunities that they were presented. So I I want to say that when you are in an office full of men, um, and they are all pretty firm in their positions, how how does anyone? get ahead how would ginsburg get ahead um he would have to wait either for someone to fuck up and in a position to become available or he would have to i guess maybe prove himself kind of like pete did to the point where you just have brought in too much value and now we have to promote you you know um i don't see a lot of opportunity there for anyone really to get ahead without somebody fucking up and so th- it seems like the idea that, well, there are no women in this organization, so of course it's going to be a male fuck-up that allows a woman to get ahead, because that's how anyone would get ahead. Does that mm. does that make sense? Yeah, I guess that's a that's a fair point. I mean, it's not like this office is full of women, and that the women could fuck up and men could be placed in their positions. It's just, it's completely the opposite. Okay. All right. I'll buy that. Uh, also, I felt bad. I stole Andrew T's joke about that Roach thing in the beginning, and I meant to give him credit, but I forgot to write. I, I somehow forgot to paste that in the notes. And while you were talking just now, I looked it up. So I just want to make sure give credit where credit where credit is due. Uh, I okay. do believe we're ready for a little <laughs> pimping, though. Unless you've got something else to add. Hey, we nope, are part of the Bald Move Network. Uh, we are doing a lot of things right now. We've got the Game of Thrones cast, of course. Uh, dropping on Tuesday nights. We got the instant casts on that. We also started a new show on Fargo, FX's Fargo, which had a really terrific premiere episode this uh, uh, this week. And uh, really excited to get to talk about it. We're big Coen Brothers fans and uh, excited to have a new show going. Uh, how are we supporting ourselves doing all this podcast content? Well, the answer is simple. Uh, by and large, like PBS, uh, we are listener-supported and there's a couple ways you can do that. Uh, number one, amazon.baldmove.com. You hit that link before you go to Amazon, and everything that you purchase in that session, we get a teeny tiny cut uh, of the profits. So that helps us immensely. We also, there's a way that you can directly contribute it to us on subbable.com, S-U-B-B-A-B-L-E.com, slash baldmove. You go there, and it's a voluntary subscription site. You can subscribe to us for free. You can send us a one-time uh, fixed amount uh, donation, or you can also set up to be backed a dollar a month or whatever amount you'd like. Uh, and that directly goes to pay for our content. And as a bonus, not only do you get the satisfaction that you're supporting us two bums, but you can save up some really for some really cool and fun uh, subscriber bonuses. You can be on our uh, wall of fame on the website. You can earn yourself t- uh, free T-shirts from our uh, online shopping cart. Uh, our online store, our e-commerce site, whatever the kids are calling it. Uh, and also, if you you know don't shop online and uh, you don't have the wherewithal to support us financially, one thing you can always do is rate and review us and subscribe to us on iTunes. 
that is where we get probably 90% of our new uh, listeners. And you guys have been really heroic on that. We have been dominating the top 10 of TV and film categories. And we've even cracked into the top 20 of just iTunes podcast period. And that is amazing. And it's all due to your guys' support. We can't thank you enough. Uh, we just really appreciate it. So, and if, if you're not on iTunes, uh, tell a friend, share our links, uh, podcasts that you particularly enjoy with your friends and family, uh, use social networks, whatever it takes to get the bald move word out there. Again, uh, all your support. We appreciate it. Check out our affiliates. Don't forget about the personal arrogance guys. Uh, don't forget about the ladies at the Picasso show. Uh, some saucy topics of late. I don't know if you listen to the latest podcast, but Gerilyn almost found herself into a a open polyamorous relationship. Cra- yep, it's, heard it's, all about it's, it. it's a fucking soap opera, and uh, it stars three really intelligent, funny ladies out of L.A. You should check it out, uh, The Because Show. And don't forget about Tom and Kelly holding all things down at Wardian, Victorian, BBC, and Masterpiece Theater on Up Years Downstairs. Let's get in the feedback, my friend. Luis... Lisa Louise Langford, better known as Trippel on this podcast, said, interesting episode in terms of race and gender. I love that the wiener and everyone gave a nod to people mixing Don and Shirley up. I'm always mixed up as the other black woman in my office. Peggy was a colossal expletive deleted. She could have gotten Shirley fired. I agree, and I'm gobsmacked that people are pulling this shit in 2014. Sure. I... You know, I it, it's it's kind of amazing. Um, I mean, I'm I'm going through because in in the high tech fields uh, that I was involved with up until recently, became a full time podcaster. Uh, we have a huge influx of Indian people, and their mm-hmm. names are really different and are hard to like pronounce and get right in in emails and all that kind of stuff. So it's like I get that there's like a rough transition period when people start, you know, new types of people start integrating. But it feels like Americans have had enough experience with African-American people to start being able to tell them apart. That might be a controversial opinion. I I just feel like that maybe, maybe they could take the time to, to, to learn people's faces. I don't know. Sure. I don't think that's unreasonable request. Uh, Paula P says, Variety says that Robert Town, the great Chinatown screenwriter, is now a consulting producer and writer for Mad Men's seventh season. Maybe he's already having a good effect on the writing. The episode is very clever, lots of great lines tossed around by nimble actors, and each character is given pivotal scenes. I knew that from the preseason buzz that this guy is a really, really famous writer uh, and has worked on a lot of high-profile stuff. And I know the wiener was glowing about him in a preseason interview. And it's hard for me to tell because I always think the writing on this show is top shelf. Top shelf. But yeah. it does seem maybe even a hair tighter this year. What do you think? Hmm. A little I mean, bit it's so hard to say. Because it's, it's always so good. I've never been disappointed in the writing of a Mad Men episode. I, I don't know that I've noticed it's been particularly good this year. I think it's been up to the Mad Men par, which is... Yeah. Excellent. Okay. Well, um, it, it's kind of like an embarrassment of riches, right? They've 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 added an all star yeah. writer to. I mean, they're the New York fucking Yankees of writers at this point. 
Uh, Josh P says, is it just me or does it seem like Pete was using his real estate agent friend to land the Chevy dealer's account? From what they were saying, it sounded like they got one of them drunk and they had to get her back to his house or hotel room before he woke up. I don't think she actually had sex with them, but they were leaning in to believe that one of them spent the night with her. Technically, Pete isn't pimping her out, but it's pretty damn close. I actually think they're talking about Teddy, right? Uh, I did not catch that in the episode. What are you talking about? So they're talking about when they're fooling around in the office. She's like, hey, I got to just get this contract signed. And she's like, well, he's so drunk that he doesn't even know where he's at. And he's like, yeah, that's why I've got I've got to get it to his office, you know, first thing in the morning. And with a note that said, you promised you'd sign this. Uh, I thought they were talking about Ted. But Josh P is implying that they're talking about the contact that they were using. And. The implication that they maybe had a one night stand, I don't, I mean, I, I don't. I, hmm. Yeah, I, I really don't know. I buy the fact that they got him so drunk that Pete could say, "Hey, you promised you'd sign this last night," and use that as social peer pressure. I didn't get that she was involved sure. in the seduction, other than it never hurts to have a pretty lady on your arm when you're conducting business. Yeah, there was also a moment where uh, they were talking about where Pete was explaining, you know, that that long drawn out story about how he landed it. And he said that she walked in and he saw her and said, I like what I see, but he was actually talking about the contract or the, the business they were going to do. Yeah. He's almost like uh, the opposite of that. Yeah. Anyway. So I, I don't know. I thought it was an interesting take uh, at any rate. Uh, mm-hmm. Annie L said, Tom and Lorenzo are pretty hard on Peggy. They even went so far as calling her a racist for taking the roses from Shirley's desk without asking because according to TNL, she couldn't fathom the idea that someone would send Shirley flowers. Oops, I have that same opinion. Uh, but we should just go back to the previous scene. Peggy wasn't even aware of it's Valentine's Day until Stan and Ginsburg mentioned it. From the moment she entered SC&P, there were bouquets everywhere. Of course she grabbed those roses a little too fast, but the power of suggestion and subliminal messages played an important role here. A lot of people seem to think her outburst at Shirley at the end of the episode was out of character and mean, but come on, she was completely right when she said that Shirley had a whole day to tell the, her those roses were from her fiancé. Also, someone on Facebook suggested that Peggy's actions might have cost Shirley's job, and it's horrible because she's been Peggy's secretary since Peggy's days at CGC. Nope. Peggy's secretary at CGC was Phyllis. I think she followed Peggy to SCNP after the merger. Peggy mm-hmm. told Joan that she was still fine getting Harry's old office, giant pool included, as long as she didn't have to share Phyllis in The Man at the Plan, although we never saw her on screen again, so she probably left the company short after. I guess Donna Shirley could also add a hello Phyllis to their little banter. Um... I don't know that I agree with this take because you have to put yourself in Shirley's position, which was a black woman working in this ultra white office in the year 1969. And I think that there was a moral conundrum about, you know, what she should do. Should she confront her boss about this? She tried to. And it's like, I don't know. I've been in those awkward situations where you start off to do the right thing and Mm -hmm. You just kind of get judoed and you're turned around and you walk out and you're like, how the hell did that happen? And I feel like that's what happened with Shirley. Yeah, it, it felt very Seinfeldian to me in the way that, oh, well, I was going to say something, but then the window's closed. It's too late now. If I go say something, I'll be embarrassed and I'll embarrass her. And it, yeah, it felt like maybe she was not in a position to say anything at, at one point. Yeah, and how was she to know that Peggy was going to have this escalating crazy behavior with a one-sided relationship <laughs> with Teddy, where Teddy was just trying to find out what the hell happened to this account. And Peggy seeing yeah. is this escalating his romantic interest and she's getting more and more chagrin. And I, I mean, 
it's it's a stretch for me to put too much of the blame on on Shirley here because the other thing is there's no excuse to treat an employee like that. There really is. Sure. It's not a good look to be a position in power and have an underling that can't fight back and say things back to you. Uh, you know, I, I, I got to call Avery on his bullshit. I got to call uh, Peggy on hers. Yeah, no, I'm with you. Ryan H. said, have the elevator doors always been enormous and black? There was a scene of the doors closing on Jim and Roger toward the end. It felt very ominous. No? This, are you there? Yeah. Okay. Goddamn. This scene, this, this elevators, this is the same office they've been in for like the last three years, right? Yeah, definitely. They've annexed the top floor, but other than that, it hasn't mm-hmm. changed. So this is the same elevator that opened up into the yawning chasm before uh, dawn. Um, yep. It probably still looks at over 666. So it's the same one, but I think that these big monolithic doors serve them in good stead as far as being ominous. I, I do go with that, right? Sure. Yeah, I, I think that's definitely a choice that they made. Uh, Diamond Rattler says, I'm thinking Don, Pete, and Peggy are going to start their own agency. Judging from the SCP meeting, seems like it would be too weird for Don to return to work at this time. What do you think about yeah, we, Don, Pete, and Peggy? We kind of speculated on that, right? Yeah, the only thing is, I don't know about Roger and Don coming along. If Peggy and Pete start a, a new firm, I kind of hope it's with all new, it's with all new younger talent. Okay. Uh, that seems like it's difficult to do but maybe they could um it would be i think it'd be interesting yeah you, you got a good point about that because you got to have a pedigree right uh yeah and it also maybe took the money of all the partners to get the last one started so they didn't really have money to hire people they were kind of more <laughs> running on their own steam hmm. it would be interesting to see like an east coast west coast rivalry like roger and don start their own uh you know, Sterling Draper office in New York and the young youngins run off to West coast where it's a little bit more bohemian, maybe a little looser, maybe a little less mm-hmm. white collar and, you know, make a run at it with, you know, sun kissed and some of their business out there as the anchor. Yeah. That'd be cool. And Pete's got some money. It feels like he's been a partner for a while. I mean, I know he had to grub for money, you know, not three or four seasons ago, but it feels like maybe he he might have a little bit of money. Yeah, I think so. Plus, was, uh, was, where, where does Joan end up? Ooh, ooh. I kind of think Joan. If 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 there's a three way split, I think Joan stays with uh, SC and P. Wow. Okay. She gets cutlered. She into gets it? cutlered into it. <laughs> he right. carves her off like so much cutlery. <laughs> Uh, Ashley J says in last week's episode, they made it a point for Megan to mention my next house and then correct herself to say our house. It seems that in her mind, she's no longer married, even if she's attempting to go through the motions. And that's underlined in this episode when Don mentions that she hasn't even called. So Don is pitifully alone. His television, his Ritz crackers and his whiskey as his only friends. Speaking of the kids, is it just me or does Kieran Ashipka do the perfect January Jones impression? Uh, I suppose it's a testament to the writing and direction as well, but I see so much Betty Draper in her that feels like it's not even a television show sometimes. I'm not even sure she's actually a good actress, but her portrayal of Draper of a Draper is spot on. She also gives good Don. I noticed that when she dealt with her uh, her roommates, that she does that Don mm-hmm. thing where they'll make statements and she just kind of looks at them <laughs> and kind of appears aloof, and and which automatically makes her seem more interesting than she really is. Hmm. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They're they are shallow. 
bratty little cynics. She's a deep bratty little cynic. Uh, but I, I, I feel like she's got a very good Don Drapering of their relationship too. Uh, she also finishes last. They love the exchange between Don and Shirley where they swap names with one another as a, yet another black woman having had a lot of predominantly worked in a lot of predominantly white settings. I can't even count the number of times I've been deemed interchangeable with that other black girl. You and Trapel should have a support group. That's awful. I apologize. Yeah. Yeah. That's shocking to me. Um, I don't know. I just wonder, I, I'm kind of wondering where they live. Although I live in the fucking Midwest and, and that doesn't happen. But then again, I'm, I'm, I'm not terribly old. So maybe I'm more sensitive to that or I've been more used to it. Um, what do you think about the, her, her analysis of Megan and Don's relationship? I think it's fair. Um, it doesn't seem to be on good terms at the, at this point. And I think part of seeing Don eating his Ritz crackers and drinking alone is the phone isn't ringing, just like she said. Hmm. And the by that, I mean Megan is not calling. All right. Yeah, I don't – I mean, I got the vibe that there's something beyond just her awkwardness with Don being back uh, from yeah. last episode Last too. episode. But I also don't think Megan's the type of girl that would string Don along like that. Huh. Okay. I don't know. It's it's interesting, and I, it's something I'm very curious about moving forward. How much we see of Megan, and how much of their involvement, and how much of their marriage is actually left. So, because mm-hmm. I got to say, I'm not terribly interested in him continuing to be married and kind of patching that part up. I'm much more interested in his involvement with his kids and what he ends up doing with himself, yeah. you know, professionally. Definitely. Uh, that's all the email. We had a pretty light email week. Uh, anything else else you got to say? Nope, I think I'm good. All right. Well, if you'd like to uh, uh, take the bait and inundate inundate us next week with email, you can do so at (laughs) Uh madmen at baldmove.com. Of course, follow me on facebook.com slash baldmove. I don't do a live live, uh, watch. I do like a delayed hour or two watch because I got the Game of Thrones stuff going on. But I do have a lot of thoughts. This is... Probably my favorite show on television right now. Don't tell any of the Game of Thrones folks, but uh, <laughs> I love it to death. Jim holds down Twitter, at Bald Move. Uh, go there for the latest stuff that we're doing. And unless you got something else, Jim, we will let these people go and see them on Sunday night and next Tuesday evening. Sounds good. See you guys then.